Well, good morning, church family. It is good to be here, to be worshiping together this, this Sunday morning. Missed you all a couple weeks back, and uh, it's good to be preaching today. Today and next week are our last weeks in our study in the book of Jonah. Uh, chapter 3, two weeks ago, was preached by my dad. I'm glad he could swing on over here and preach. That was fun. First time after all these years um, because he has normally been preaching on Sunday mornings out in West Virginia. So I'm glad you all could have, have him here. Thanks for taking care of him, being nice and all that. Let me begin with this question as we are gearing up to look at chapter four, which is a very different tone compared to most chapters in the book, uh, in the Bible, I should say. When did God do something in your life different than you expected him to do? Uh, Maybe I'll reword it this way. When did he work differently than you would have done it if you were God? If you're like me, uh, I would say that that list is countless. I, I can't even can begin to build it because day by day in certain huge moments of my life, the Lord continues to do things that are so different than I would have done it. And in those moments, we have a responsibility. Are we going to respond with how he works or are we gonna go sit in the corner and run and hide and disagree. Today we look at this very interesting interesting portrayal of Jonah's reaction to the revival that God sent to Nineveh. Jonah was angry. And of all the reactions, that is one that is, uh, it's interesting. It reveals a, a little uh, component of the human heart, even for somebody who's a devout follower of Jesus Christ in our case, and how we can find ourselves actually bitter to the things of God. And so this, this morning, this message is, uh, it, it, we're gonna walk through it, we're gonna read how Jonah responded, we're gonna see how this is throughout scripture in a few different ways. But it serves as a warning for us. Uh, it, it's, it serves as a reminder of we can actually get ourselves to the place where we are so not just discouraged and not just envious and, and not, not just, um, uh, I don't know, hey, you know, God, I would have done it different, but whatever. Instead, you can actually grow to the place where you are angry at Almighty God's choosing and how he does things, including spiritual regenerative work, you know? Not just, oh, I wish like this ministry did this or that, or I wish, you know, I don't know, to be super modern, I wish church service was an hour later than it is, you know, like none of that stuff. You can actually be angry at revival and how God moved. So we're gonna look at this story and it's super interesting for me. Let's begin with the, fir- the, the very last verse of chapter three because it sets the context and then we'll look at chapter four. So chapter three, verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, referring to the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Well, how about that? 
Let's remember that we can move God to action with genuine response and worship, namely repentance in this situation. He does relent when there's repentance. He does hold back when his people pray. I, I don't know if you have fallen into the trap where you begin to feel as though your prayers are, are not effective or do not matter, um, but if you have fallen there, which I have been there at times in, uh, in, in grieving scenarios, I, I, would, I would encourage you to continue to press in, lean in, read scripture, fill your mind with the truths of the word, spend time with other believers, particularly those of you who are older believers who have endured far more hardship and heartache, spend time with them and see how they have weathered those storms and how they can continue Um, to, to pray and have hope uh, in who God is. One of my favorite things, whether it's biographies or spending time with those who are basically either retired or be way beyond retired, you know? It's like, okay, you've seen a lot of things and you continue to have hope in Jesus Christ. You believe what he will do and they say yes and they explain why. Well, this reminded of this, right? God does relent when his people pray. So let's turn our attention to chapter four. It starts off with the word, but. And if you've you know, been studying the book of Jonah with us continually, that word gets Jonah in trouble because it just shows he just continues to push back on what God is doing. So verse one says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. If you have a Bible, you can underline exceedingly. We'll come back to that in a little bit. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Yeah, two weeks ago, um, when we talked through chapter three, we described here how Jonah was um, uh, preaching to a group of people who were quite evil. And their works are chronicled quite well in archaeology and other, other history. And it leads many people to say, are they, were, they, were they a people worthy of God's mercy? Jonah didn't think so. But he knew, Jonah knew that God would act with, with great mercy. Coincidentally, the last week and a half has uh, brought about a very unique dynamic to emotionally consider how Jonah was feeling. Because if you recall, weeks ago, we were talking through Jonah chapter one, and I was likening this call to Nineveh as if you were called to go across the border and, and preach to the cartels and how you know, your life would be in danger and maybe you would even wonder, do they deserve this gospel because of the, the acts they have done? Well, in light of what's occurred uh, in Israel, you can see how if there is even a similarity, uh, which according to, the, again, the history books, there, there is some a very unique similarity in the evil acts that occurred. You, you could see how if today somebody was had this deep stirring, just a conviction that they could not change, that God said, I need you to go, and I need you to go talk to that, to that group, whether it's 
literally some terrorists from Hamas or somebody else, and they might find themselves saying, but they, no, no, no. You know, any, anyone but them. In the case of Jonah, going to the Ninevites was similar. And uh, we can find ourselves realizing why it is that Jonah had trouble with the wideness of God's mercy. So he knew who God was, his character, his attributes. If you have a Bible, you should circle all those Attributes here, graciousness, his mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Wow, we love those attributes when God pours those out on us. We struggle when he pours those same attributes out on our enemy. Verse three continues. Uh, Jonah says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He was so despairing. He was so overwhelmed with disgust. It seems like an extreme statement, but he's, I'm actually shocked this is all recorded in scripture. It's a pretty unique description from one of God's prophets to be saying this. And then verse four, the Lord responds, do you do well to be angry? Kind of a unique way we often say it this way. Is, is it right for you to be angry? Or have you any right to be angry, Jonah? You know, do, do you actually have a right to be angry? Now, next week, we're gonna look at how God uses a few different teachable moments to reinforce this lesson. We're gonna pause here with verse four and just, just linger in this section of the chapter. Throughout the book of Jonah, we've read about how Jonah is this unwilling prophet. It's not just about his stubbornness, though, because if we're honest, we'll realize that for many of us, we can fall into the same traps or the same mindset. Our struggle to yield to God's will and direction, like he did in chapter one, our blindness to God's clear signals, again, like Jonah in chapter one, even our anger when he shows mercy to those whom we don't think deserve it. In our case, maybe not necessarily uh, a distant enemy across the world, but uh, the person who broke your heart, uh, the person who you know, hurt your family or fired you or whoever it may be. Well, just as Jonah received God's correction and mercy, we do too. And so we're challenged by this essential question to have a, to have a life in Christ that is vibrant, filled with the Spirit, the kind of life that you wanna live out and, and others would wanna emulate in a way of growing in their own faith. You gotta get through this major hump in your, in your walk with the Lord, and it's, how do you tend to respond to God's work? How do you respond to God's work? Do you join in or do you stand at a distance? Do you celebrate God's work or do you critique it? Do you contribute to God's work? 
or do you flee to the corner of your modern day Tarshish? Today's message, like I was saying, it's a warning. It's a strong caution for us against our pride. When God works in such a way that it makes us uncomfortable or makes us angry, in such a way we'd say we would be doing it differently if we were writing this redemptive story. And it's like, well, you're not God. And so get off the pedestal and submit to what God wants to do. And as much as I love chapter or verse two's description, and I actually was anticipating when we started Jonah, I thought, I can't wait to get to chapter four, verse two. We're gonna walk through all these characteristics of God. It's one of my favorite topics to preach on. A long time ago, I read A.W. Tozer's books, The Attributes of God. It's two volumes, and it's, it's dense, and it's amazing, Never since any chance I have a chance to preach on God's characteristics, I do so. And yet, in prayer through this passage, I had, and I had three weeks, and slowly, actually pretty, pretty quickly it was clear, but then slowly the message just became deeper and more, more, meat, more meat on the bones of, okay, we actually have to give ourselves a warning to say, let's not fall into the same trap Jonah did, which honestly is kind of the same message we've had throughout this book. You know, don't rise up and run away like Jonah did. Don't, you know, all this stuff. So, Let's look at verse one here. It starts, it says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry, right? I read that. I told you we're gonna come back to that. In one of the translations, it says, but Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Another translation says the change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. In fact, if you were to literally translate these phrases it would read along these lines. It was evil to Jonah that this occurred. And anger burnt in him, so much so that he was vexed and irritated. So why would Jonah be so frustrated? You know, he, he had, and some have said this, but I'd say he, he could hide, and if somebody were to press him on this, he might hide under the guise, the mask, the costume, of he's just, he's just jealous for God's honor. Hey, these people are godless, and I just, I just struggle that, you know, they're worshiping, but what if they don't really mean it, you know? Yeah, we've said those the phrases about people in our judgmentalism, but that's not what's going on. In Jonah's case, he was so displeased that the mercy of God should be extended to these evil people, particularly those who were his enemies, and were prophesied that they would actually conquer his own people one day. The Syrians were the ones who, who took out one of these kingdoms, and he is this messenger of mercy. Well, he is not happy. And it might surprise you, but human brokenness is so prone to envy and selfishness and narrow-mindedness that God can work a mighty miracle like revival among a city, as we read at the very end of this whole book, and this is 120,000 persons. God can work a miracle in their lives, and yet we can still look at it and stand there with our arms crossed and disapprove because we didn't like it. This is a... This is a weird message to preach today because I don't get the tone that our church is like a bunch of naysayers for what it's worth, right? Lynn and I were talking about this last night. I'm like, how? I see the passage here and I know how to pre preach it, but it doesn't feel like it totally matches 
our actual congregation in this moment of time. I have seen you all come together. We've rallied together. We're gonna buy this barn on the 7th of November. That's awesome, you know. Um, we got like all these ministries happening, got serve stuff, you know, great things happening. So, so perhaps this is more of a warning for us, as it is for me. Uh, there may be a handful in here, and maybe it's actually far more than I have a, a, a pulse on. Maybe this really is like a deep-seated rebuke for you, and so receive it from the Lord. But I think it's more of a warning. So I'm gonna walk through this as we do so, and, and just, just know I'm not trying to kick you while you're down. I told Lynn, actually, it's, like, it's kind of like if I brought my kids in, or my kids, I got six, four, and then the, the littlest turns two in a few days. I'm like, it's like if I brought them in, set them on the couch t- tomorrow, and was like, hey, you're not cleaning your room more, and you're not having a quiet time. And they'd be like, whoa, I'm six, you know? Uh, it's like, so there's like a little bit of an element. We're gonna walk through this. It, it, it might feel stricter than it needs to, but I do think it is what needs to be said. So this kind of reaction that Jonah has, if you look at scripture, you actually see it's not just limited to Jonah. I was most surprised by this as I was praying and studying on this passage and realizing we see this in all sorts of ways in which God works and there is somebody saying, no, 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 I don't like this. So think one example would be the older brother of the prodigal son in that parable, Luke chapter 15, this famous story. And if you recall, the little brother, he finally returns home after just turning all sorts of stuff and then The father rejoices and throws a party. The brother, the big brother, he's not happy, so he throws a pity party. And he's outside, and he is more concerned with the inequity of this celebration than he is that his homeless, drug addict brother is finally home. Similar to Jonah and the prodigal son's older brother, we see a similar reaction with the Pharisees in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Time and time again, across all these different sermons that Jesus preached and all these different miracles that Jesus did, time and time again, the religious elite, they were like the ancient version of the keyboard social justice warrior who sat there and just throwing comments at stuff. And it's like, what are you even talking about? You're not even involved here. They were more concerned with critiquing the work of God than celebrating the work of God. And a good example is found in John chapter eight. In this story, in this chapter, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. My mind tells me it was John nine. I'm gonna check real quick. It is John nine. Okay, so John nine, not eight. And in this, Jesus heals a man born blind and the man can finally see. He's super excited. He's jumping around the crowd. You know, to some degree, they're kind of celebrating in a sense if you read between the lines. But, whoa, whoa, we got a group of people who don't like it. Why? Because Jesus broke the Sabbath because he spit in the dirt and made mud and stuck it on the man's eyes. And, well, it can't make mud. And they were far more concerned with this technicality that they created. That's not what the Old Testament, they, they created another layer of rules in order to not break the original rules, right? So they're all concerned about, like, that layer and... Jesus is looking at him like, you know, what are you talking about? And rebukes them. And they say, wait a second, are we actually blind? And he's like, yeah, you're actually the ones who are blind here. Well, they're more concerned with all this stuff. And they were not celebrating what God had just done. Instead, they were critiquing it. Another example, in addition to Jonah and the prodigal son's older brother and the Pharisees, another example would be Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit moved in a new way. I mean, you, you think, you think, oh, oh. A giant fish swallowing Jonah and the Assyrians coming to revival is atypical. Let's move to Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit shows up in a, in a way um, 
the people of God and the world had never seen before. How do you, what do you do with that? And in that moment of how the Holy Spirit moved, the guys like Peter and others, these apostles, they they connected it to the words of the prophet Joel. 3,000 people get saved. There's a great movement in response of God. But, well, all right, we got the Pharisees, we got a few others who are, who are there and they're looking at it and all these institutional leaders, they're there with their arms crossed saying, I don't like this. And they begin to spread a lot of toxic poison legalism and disapproval in all of these moments um, to the point where they, they bring in John and Peter. This is Acts chapter five by this point in the council saying what's going on. And thankfully Gamaliel says, listen, if this is of God, it's gonna last you'd be finding, finding yourself fighting against God. If it's not, it'll die out, as it had with other uh, revolutionaries. Another example, this is not in scripture, this would be just in uh, modern film. If you recall the film that came out earlier this year called Jesus Revolution, and how many of you saw that? Good, okay, so enough of you, but I'll tell you a little bit. There's a scene where a bunch of hippies start going to church, and a bunch of people in church don't like it. They're like, yeah, they got these men with long hair, uh, you got these barefoot people, these flower children all rolling in, they got their music, it doesn't sound the same, and so all the guys are you know, crossing their arms and stomping their feet and walking out, and Jesus is, uh, God, he's saving all these people. And the movie portrays, in, in part, some of that dynamic and that tension. So we see that even today, right, in some versions, modern history. And lastly, another example of just how God works in an unexpected way, and you got some people excited about it and some people not excited about it. The the biggest work of all these things, even greater than Jonah, would be Jesus' work on the cross. So you have people being taught they are no longer bound to the old covenant, but that through Jesus' atonement, our sin is now covered by the blood of the lamb. So this new covenant is inaugurated. The message of grace through faith was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And some people missed it at that time and some people still miss it today and all the 2000 years in between the cross and today. They're convinced they need to earn salvation through good works and they miss out on God's work in that moment. Okay, so we see this all over the place in scripture, and modern history, and if we're honest, perhaps even in ourselves. Jonah's reaction is a little jarring at first for me. It's a little shocking to see a prophet of God so angered, stirring in his heart. But when we consider all this stuff in scripture and then today, we see that, you know, perhaps it is that there's a natural proclivity in people's hearts to respond negatively to God's work. It could be a source of envy for them. It could trigger, you know, that God is moving in such a way. He's upsetting the norm. We fought so hard to have a certain comfort level, and now that's, you know, that fruit basket is all tossed upside down. I don't really like that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves in a way that we don't expect him to, and then our flesh, it craves to be that fault finder, Satan whispers in our ear, hey, you need to be the gatekeeper for some sort of scenario. And then we're actually just quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit rather than joining him in his work. And so this tendency, because I can see it in scripture, 
because I can see it in history, like Jesus' revolution era, I wasn't alive then, you know, I can read about it. But I can also see it today, again, not so much in all of you who are right here in the room, to my knowledge, maybe secretly in your heart and you're really tactful and you just keep it down, you know? Um, and if so, take that to the Lord. But there have been conversations over the years in which you're talking to somebody, you're like, we just baptized like 20 people and you didn't, you had an issue with what? And then they, you know, they tell you, and you're like, whatever. And people tend to do that. Uh, and so if they do it in scripture, and if I see it in history, I know that that can be true for us today. And if it's not a, a current weakness of yours, you could cultivate that in your life. It could be a weed growing up in your life. And that's what we wanna address and cut out. Remember, Isaiah 55, verse eight says, my ways are not your ways. I'm gonna read that again, because I feel like, we're like, yeah, that's a great verse. Now let me go do what I wanna do. Right. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord in Isaiah 55, eight. What does that mean? That means that there's gonna be things that God does that are different than what you would have wanted. Yeah. Take that, Jonah. Take that, us. You know, whoever it is and everyone in between. So when God works, some of us might react positively and others react negatively. Which way do you tend to respond? You know, again, I started off with a question kind of like, when was the last time God did something that you, well, that, that was done differently than you expected him to? Most of us probably don't fall into that trap of judging God's work if our entire town gets saved. There will be some, which is shocking, but hey, I guess that just comes with the territory. So I'm praying for a revival. 20,000 plus people in green get saved and everyone around. Maybe some of you don't even live in green, right? Like just the whole area, but 20,000, I can kind of focus my attention. And if that happens, praise the Lord. I think most people will be excited um, and a few people will be naysayers, whatever. But a more common trap, a little bit of a broader one is just saying, are we more prone to be celebrating God's work or critiquing God's work. I, I, I call those critics the ecclesial muckraker. You know, they're looking for corruption under every single decision or movement of God. So how, how, how do you respond when God's ways are different than your ways? Let me give you a quick little test just to help you gauge where you might be landing. Because uh, I think that Okay, if you, if you tend to be a, a, you know, a critic of all this stuff, you're, you're slowly making yourself sick. You're slowly becoming lukewarm. And the challenge with that is not that you're even lukewarm, it's that you're blind to the fact that you're lukewarm. You don't even know it. You, know, you're, you think you're healthy and you're like totally spiritually sick. And so let me give you a little bit of a diagnostic examination here and then I'll give you two quick takeaways. And um, this is pretty easy to walk through. If the Lord taps on your heart in a specific way though, you gotta do business with the Lord about this. So how do you tend to respond when like a drug addict gets saved, baptized and shares their testimony of God's miracle in their life? Do you respond with a heart that's just filled with joy? Look what God did. If he did it in that person, he can do it in, in my life or that other person I'm praying for, whatever it is. Or do you default to this thinking, I've seen this before and it won't last? Well, congratulations. If the latter is true, you might be a critic. How do you tend to respond when the prodigal son returns? Is your heart overjoyed? You're ready to throw a party. 
There are many like that. And, and I love those few times that I do get to uh, hug the person when they walk in the door. Is, is that your response? Or is this like weird take stirred in your heart where you're saying, you know, you feel this resentment. Hey, they got to have fun, but I was, I was having a quiet time every day. What, what are you talking about? Or you critique maybe a pastor's response into, um, I, I haven't heard this. It's not so much about me, but just in general, like, if we're prioritizing their healing and there's like concern that we're condoning that sort of behavior, oh, you're spending a lot of time with that person, you know, you're condoning their behavior. It's like, what are you talking about? No one's condoning it. They're just caring for somebody who's sick. Maybe even use last year's revival at Asbury College to, to uh, do a little examination. Some of you didn't know about it, but if you're aware of it, I tended to see two sort of responses. Was your heart filled with a sense of wonder and, uh, and excitement and joy? Did the news align with your understanding that God does this? He's in the business of revival. He does change lives and he, and he, he moves across in incredible ways. Or was your first reaction one of troubling concern? Perhaps you even allowed yourself this Diet that exasperated that concern because you're watching some clout chasing YouTuber who's in a different time zone judging God's work over here in, uh, in Appalachia. I-, I could go on and on, but what I've been praying is that the Lord would uh, pinpoint specifics in your heart if there is one. And if, if you're like, I have no clue what you're talking about, Adam. <laughs> And we can talk later. Uh, I'd love to chat and explain some more details on this. What I want us to do is just recognize that we can find ourselves growing to become that critic and we justify it. And it's a really dangerous place to be. Jonah was there. The Pharisees got there. Church history tells us it happens. And so here's my challenge for you. The, uh, I think this is like an antidote. I mean, a little bit of a silver bullet dynamic. You apply this, it's really going to push this out. And it's 1 Peter 4, 8, where Peter writes to love earnestly. He's talking about the, the church family. Love them earnestly. Continue to love earnestly. When you love others earnestly, you tend to not be so much of like the, the naysayer, and you're just in the work and you're loving people where they are, and there's such good stuff happening there. And I think one of the, one of the uh, two main ways that this kind of love, uh, this earnest love is expressed. One is through prayer, and one is through service. And so you pray, for, you pray for God to work, and you pray for your church family, and you pray for those who are lost. Like as you're praying for them, or this concern you see, pray for that person, and watch how he, uh, God tends to just like, uh, chip away at any sort of elitism in your mind or judgmentalism, and then you serve them. If you're angry at somebody, serve them. Wow, that'll really tear down some walls in your heart. And so probably one of the best ways for our church to continue on the path of being a healthy church, well, we gotta pray for each other and we gotta serve one another. We got serve teams outside, it's one of the best ways. And if you find yourself just to like, 
uh, on the side saying like, I don't know, this isn't right, this isn't good. It's like, why well, are you praying and serving? You're probably not, because I'm praying and serving and I don't see the same thing. Uh, and I'm using a lot of filters. Or if you see God work, and again, my prayer is, is not so much um, their church family, although it's a great concern. It's more so being a Jonah when God moves through revival. 120,000 persons, it's probably about the same, I don't know, I haven't run a demographic study on it in a long time, but that's probably about the same amount, about like a 15 mile radius of where our office is. 120,000 120, people got saved. Would we be excited or would we be like a Jonah? Friends, do not, do not fall into that trap. And you, it's not gonna just happen overnight. It's gonna be little steps along the way and when you slowly be, start becoming that person and then you're a bitter old brother or sister in Christ ripping everyone down. I usually don't like ending sermons like that, um, but I am today. So um, Annie, you and the team, I'd love if you guys lead us out. Uh, I, if, you, if you need to get going or snag your kids, feel free to do that. We're gonna conclude with this song, Come to the Altar. It's a fantastic song because it's a, it's a song of repentance, a song of confession. And I mean, I, in some ways I'm tempted just to have all of you come down, you know, kind of force it. But I, I'm not only because I, I want you to have a genuine examination with the Holy Spirit to just gauge your heart it's doubtful that many of us, if any of us are actually like to the degree that Jonah was in this moment, but there are probably several of us who are, have little traces of it, little weeds, uh, cracks in that foundation that should be one of love and generosity and prayer and service and excitement to the things of God, not being the uh, armchair quarterback, you know eating your nachos, <laughs> critiquing how the game is. So if you need to confess, we wanna give that space for that. I'll be over here, I'd love to pray with you too. Um, if there's a lot of people who want prayer, just come forward and our leaders, we will pray with you. We got a prayer team, we got group leaders, elders, we will pray with you. Just respond if you'd like to be down here. And um, let, me, uh, let me pray for us as we move into that time. Heavenly Father,